0: doesn't Everyone, and thank you for stopping by. I have a hell of a program lined up for you this evening. And I heard a rumor that we might hear from our old friends, the mirrored men, at some point tonight. Well, it's the rumor anyway. But before we get into any of that, I have plenty of monsters and mysteries to explore. And I'm not sure where this first one falls. Existence of the object is mysterious, but who's to say that that object isn't full of monsters? Mike from Utah, welcome to the program.
1: Hi, Derek. This is Mike in Salt Lake City. The story I'm about to tell happened last year. Would have been April 2021. My wife and I took a trip down to Duck Creek Village, Utah. It's uh, about 40 miles east of Cedar City, Utah, which is going to be about south central part of the state. Now, while we were there, one of the days we decided to go to Bryce Canyon National Park, which was about an hour and a half away from the cabin that we were staying at. I believe it was a Saturday that we went. Spent about a half a day at Bryce Canyon and decided to call the visit short because of a storm that was blowing in. So we decided to head back to the cabin. And while we were driving on Highway 89, just outside of Hatch, Utah, I noticed about a mile or so away, a shiny silver object, probably about a mile or so off to my left. As we approached, it stayed in the same location, not changing and as we got closer to it i could pick up some of the details now we had slowed down a bit to see what was going on Uh, my wife and i were looking at it and it was about 100 feet or so off the ground off to our left and it was slightly spinning i would say probably about 30 rpms or so and it wasn't perfectly smooth as the light hit it it would reflect the light just slightly different than say something that was maybe a little bit more smooth. Size of it, I would estimate it to be about the size of a of a yoga ball or, or so. Um, and the strange thing is, is as the storm was blowing in, it was incredibly windy. It was difficult to keep the car in a straight line. Like you, you really had to try to keep the car steady. But yet this object hovered in the same spot without moving its location. The height didn't change. It didn't bounce back and forth. It stayed the same, and it spun at about the same revolutions. I figured if it was something like a a Mylar balloon, the wind would have just taken it off. Or if it was fixed to something, it would have been bouncing all over the place because of how windy it was. But yet this thing stayed the same the entire time. There was a car in front of us, and I know that they noticed it as well because they slowed down to look at it as well. Well, we didn't stop. We kept driving, and we made it to just outside of Hatch, Utah, when our radio started acting kind of weird. It's a newer car with the touch touchscreen, and yet it stopped working. It wouldn't play music. I couldn't hear the radio. Our phones wouldn't connect. So when we pulled over, I turned the car off and waited a few minutes, went to go start the car again, and had difficulty starting it. Finally, was able to get the car started, and our radio didn't work still. Not wanting to risk getting stuck there, we headed on south still on Highway 89 back towards the the cabin at Duck Creek. Now, the rest of the trip, we didn't have any problems with our car. The radio worked just fine. Uh, Nothing unusual, except for when we saw this object in the sky. It was strange. Me and my wife talked about it and wondered what it was. I have no idea what we saw, if it was paranormal, or if it was, you know, something interdimensional or out of this world, but it was odd, it was unusual, and it was something that we have never seen before. We talked about that we didn't notice it on the way to Bryce, but we noticed it on the way back to the cabin. So, thought I'd share my story. Appreciate you. Love the show. Keep it up. Thanks. Bye.
0: Thanks, Mike. You know, as I'm listening to Mike's call, I couldn't help but recall an experience of my own. I, too, saw something strange hovering off the side of the road. In fact, I even spoke about it here on an episode of the program. All the way back in November of 2021. Here I am, telling that story from Season 12, Episode 7. Well, anyway, speaking of UFOs on my way home from this recent camping trip just yesterday we were driving down 395 a little south of Lone Pine and we were going pretty slow because we are towing a trailer and it was kind of zoning out and in the valley to the left of me I would say probably thousand yards away I could see a craft hovering about a 100 feet off the ground well, I don't know if it was hovering exactly but it was above the ground Now, this craft, at first I thought, was a drone of some sort, because it sort of had that structural look to it. But this craft had no lights whatsoever. And if it were a drone, it would have been massive. At the same distance, the telephone poles were about an inch to an inch tall, in my view. And this craft, this hovering craft, was at least an inch wide. And the strangest detail about this craft was that it ...seemed to be a singular brown color. Possibly a brushed copper color. It was really hard to determine, but the sun would glisten off the top. I watched it the best I could for somebody driving down the highway. And I tried to point it out to Sarah, but she couldn't find it. Now I thought for sure this was an eagle or something like that. But then I saw other birds flying around it that were so tiny in comparison... And possibly one of the strangest things about this little experience was on the other side of the highway. Two gentlemen were pulled off to the side of the road. And they had tripods and binoculars and cameras pointed in that direction. So if by chance those two gentlemen happened to be listening, please tell me what I saw. Now all the connections here seem pretty obvious. We both saw an object while we were driving. We both saw an object that was hovering. We both saw this object in a remote, canyon-like area. And it seems there's an invisible connection as well. You see, both encounters took place on the 37th parallel.
1: Turns out that the majority of UFO sightings occur along the 37th parallel of the United States. It also turns out that most cattle mutilations are along the 37th parallel, It also turns out that almost all of America's underground military bases are along the 37th parallel of the United States, the Pentagon, Cheyenne Mountain, Fort Knox, all the way over to Area 51.
0: Now that clip, part of a TED talk by author and brand new UFO researcher, Ben Mesrick. And when Delaney and I began working on this package, she pointed out that Mike's experience took place. On that infamous, albeit imaginary, line. And that realization made me investigate the location of my sighting near Lone Pine, California. And as you probably guessed, it falls right smack in the middle of the 37th parallel. And to anyone paying attention to any of this at all, that fact should not come as a surprise because the 37th parallel has been known for nearly a century now as the Alien Highway. A specific band that stretches across the U.S. and beyond, leaving a trail of unexplained sightings in its wake. For example, April 1941, Cape Giardo, Missouri, a reverend was called to give last rites to plane crash victims in a nearby field. When he arrived, he realized the aircraft was actually a saucer-like craft, and the crash victims were three otherworldly beings. Huffman described the entities as about three and a half to four feet tall, with big black eyes and long thin arms and legs. Not long after, the only surviving creature died, and the government swooped in and removed evidence and classified the entire encounter. 1979, Dulce, New Mexico. An Albuquerque businessman and UFO researcher named Paul Benowitz claimed to have intercepted communications between alien intelligence and military installations outside of Albuquerque, New Mexico. By the 1980s, Benowitz believed he had successfully located the secret underground base near Dulce that was populated by both humans and aliens. Over the course of the next four decades, the legends and conspiracy theories would grow exponentially. Claims regarding human alien hybridization, intergalactic firefights, and strange genetic experiments were all linked with Dulce Base. Hooper, Colorado, May 2000. Judy Mezzaline built a structure she calls the UFO Watchtower in Hooper, Colorado. The Watchtower has a 360 degree view of the San Luis Valley, a popular UFO hotspot and much frequented travel location for ufologists. During her time on the land, Mezzaline claims to have witnessed more than 29 UFO-related sightings. The plot of land also includes healing gardens, energy vortexes, a UFO-themed campground, and hundreds of offerings to aliens given by extraterrestrial enthusiasts. And on January 7, 1948, 25-year-old Captain Thomas F. Mantell A Kentucky Air National Guard pilot died in the crash of his P 51 Mustang fighter plane near Franklin, Kentucky. His death occurred after he was sent in pursuit of an unidentified flying object. The event was among the most publicized early UFO incidents. And you know, all that is just the tip of the iceberg. And as mentioned in that previous clip, the addition of half a century's worth of cattle mutilations really complicate this mystery. But we'll undoubtedly explore the 37th parallel again in a future broadcast. But for now, we've at least laid the groundwork. And of course, visit our show notes for even deeper dives on many of the subjects discussed here this evening. I promise there's hours of entertainment there as well. Thank you again, Mike, for sharing. Your experience. Now, if you've seen something you can't quite explain, why not share the encounter here on our hotline? Simply call 1 888 608 NIGHT. That's 888 608 NIGHT. Or record a voice memo on your phone and email it over to Monsters Among Us Podcast at gmail.com And please don't forget to submit your hometown legends and your trucker tales. Now this next story is sure to rattle any seasoned driver let alone a white-knuckled mountain driver. Please
2: welcome Mickey T from Oklahoma to the program. Hello Derek and Monsters Among Us podcast listeners. This is Mickey T and OKC calling in with another submission. Got to thinking about all the different things that have happened in my life and I thought I'd give you guys a story that took place when I was an infant and this was back in 1979. So of course I don't remember it but my family does. I was in a car with my mother and father and so both of them were the ones who told me the story. But Anyways, it takes place in California in the mountains. We were on our way home, headed back to Glendora, Pasadena. At the time, it was night. My mother was driving. I was in the back seat, asleep. We didn't have car seats back then. So I was just bundled up in a blanket, laying in the back seat. And my dad was in the passenger seat, asleep, asleep. He had been driving all day, and, well, you know how it goes, you switch off. So, anyways, but back in the 70s, to those of us who were around back then, remember that there was CBs in most vehicles, cars, trucks, semis, even today, but back then, everyone communicated on the road as they were driving, you know, whether the weather was bad or things were ahead, so... Or you just had conversations with people you didn't know and at the time we were driving a volvo station wagon and our uh, handle was snowball and my dad had been talking to a semi who was in front of us and there was a car behind us with four college kids well the semi driver was a single you know big rig driver so he was alone and then four college students that were behind us were in their own vehicle. So all three of us were going through this pass in the mountains at the same period. The CB had gone quiet because it was late and my dad had gone to take a nap in the passenger seat. At a certain point in the road, what my mom says she saw was two people standing on this hairpin curve. And at first, as she started to come upon them, she thought they were just two people in need and they were dressed oddly though. At first, it just looked like regular people so she thought they were needing help. They were waving their arms, come here. And it was a male and a female. The male was dressed in 50s, 60s outfit. You know, kind of the greaser type with blue jeans and the cuffs were rolled, white t-shirt and the cuffs on the sleeves were rolled on his shirt and his hair was slicked back and the girl was wearing what looked like a poodle skirt and, you know, a dress of that kind from that period of the 50s and 60s. But what really freaked her out was when she got closer, she realized they had no feet and she could see through their eyes, uh, see the sky, the stars and moon behind them and then she realized they were hovering out over the edge they weren't actually on the shoulder they were out over the cliff so when she got closer and noticed that she had slowed down because she was thinking that they were a couple legitimately needing help but then when she saw all that detail she sped up and screaming and beating on my father you know to wake up that she just saw something horrifying and then, of course, my dad wakes up wanting to know what's wrong, and he says, "'Turn around. Let's go back. I want to see.'" And she goes, "'Hell, no. I'm not going back.'" Well, he remembered that he'd been talking to the you know trucker and those kids earlier and was curious if they had seen it, so he got on the CB and called ahead to, to the truck driver to find out if he had seen anything, and he said, "'Hell, yeah. I saw something.'" And he said, well, where are you? He says, I'm already off the mountain. I'm pushing 120. He says, I am not going back that direction again. Well, my dad got a chuckle out of that and contacted the four college students. And they, too, had seen the same thing, the two individuals floating off the side of the mountain shoulder there. Anyway, my mother and father and I pull into this all-night truck stop and met up with the truck driver and the four college students and my parents got me out and we all went into the uh, truck stop and my parents had coffee with the uh, five individuals and spoke about what they all saw and everyone confirmed that they saw the same thing. Two individuals, no eyes, no feet, hovering off the shoulder cliff on a hairpin turn in the mountains. Anyways pretty interesting story wish I could have seen it for myself but I tend to believe both my mom and dad when they told me the story and saying that they had had others that saw it at the same time to confirm it anyways good luck enjoy the podcast and hope you guys enjoyed it take care thank you Mickey T now California has
0: a lot of mountains so Mickey T could have been referring to half of the state. But given the locations that he mentioned, you know, I'm wondering if this occurrence didn't occur in my mountains. And if it did, there may be a strange little coincidence here. Now, I'm a member of several different traffic groups here in Lake Arrowhead. After all, it's the best way to know if you're about to spend half the day in traffic or not. Spoiler alert. Most days, you will be. But several years back, I saw a post on one of these pages about someone seeing what they thought was a ghost down a particular stretch of road leading down out of our mountains. The lower passing lane on the 330 for any local that may be listening. Now, sadly, I was not able to find that post again. But from what I can remember, the witness described seeing a man dressed in 1950s garb. The impression I got was that it looked like someone straight out of the film, Grease. Now, if you know about this ghost of 330, be sure to let me know. But I couldn't help but wonder if that's what Mickey T's folks saw that day. And what scared those travelers behind them. And by the way, I would love to see the CB radio fat come back. I actually have one in each of my vehicles. No one's ever out there for a chat. But I give it a shot every once in a while. 10-4, good buddy. And thanks again, Mickey T, for sharing the entry. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. There are times in life when we reach a crossroads or encounter a tough decision. And the right path forward isn't always crystal clear. Now, whether you're dealing with decisions surrounding your career, family, and relationships, or something completely unique to you, therapy can help you stay connected to what's important. You and your well-being. And it can help you discover what you really want, and what you really need out of life. Therapy has helped simplify my decision-making process. I've found that the more time I take to check in with myself and talk things out, the easier it gets to trust myself that the decisions I've made are in my best interest. Just another way to take control of your own life. Now, if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, which makes it convenient, flexible, and affordable. And if for some reason you aren't vibing with the therapist you're matched with, you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Let therapy be your roadmap with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash Monsters Among Us today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P pcom forward slash Monsters Among Us. Now, as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. Back to those scratches on your front door. Now this next entry is another in a long line of experiences I like to call bedroom visitors. You'll see over the past seven years, we've played our fair share of calls detailing children being visited in the night by strange, unusual, and as you're about to hear, grotesque creatures. So Austin from Florida, give him an example.
3: Hi, my name's Austin. And the time that I'm about to talk about happened when I was about six years old, maybe five or six, and I was living up in Jacksonville, Florida at the time. On this particular night, I mean, I don't have a lot of memory from living where I was, but this one most definitely was not a nightmare. It wasn't anything. It was very real to me. So basically, I was living up in my grandma's house. She moved out, and me, my dad, and my mom moved in to this trailer, I remember one of these nights I was sleeping in my room and I woke up to a little stump, a noise of the sorts, and I looked into the reflection of my TV and I saw the tips of like a claw or hand more or less coming up from underneath the bottom of my bed. And I know it sounds silly like the boogeyman, but it was all too real. And it started making its way up the side of my bed, on the foot of my bed started coming up the side of it there. I couldn't see a face. It was really long fingers. I just remember it was very long, very bony. And it did have like sharp nails or even like talon or claw type deals. And it looked like a normal, like it had five fingers on it. It wasn't like, you know, four fingers or three, it was five fingers. And I just remember being paralyzed for a moment and then my little brain was like all right this is not good you need to get out of here more or less it was my fight or flight and i wasn't (laughs) fighting anything so i stood up on my bed and i remember jumping off and my door was at the foot of my bed where the hand was coming up probably about three foot past it and then went out to the right into the hallway and i jumped off far enough i don't remember looking back i think i just jumped and ran and i went straight across through the hallway to my parents' room, and I woke them up and told them what had happened. And they were just like, Oh, it's a nightmare. You just go back to sleep. Go back to sleep. Everything's okay. And I was like, I'm not sleeping in that room. You know, I don't want to go back there. Like, I want to sleep with you guys. And they ended up telling me I'm not sleeping with them, which is fine. But I went and uh, slept on the couch. I took a blanket that was out there and I had the couch pillows and I just slept on the couch. And the hall light was on. And that's how I saw. The hand coming up because it was reflecting on the TV and I saw it coming up to the foot of my bed, but I was laying there and I was watching into my room to see if anything was going to, you know, pop up or come out of my door. And that whole night, I don't remember falling asleep, but during that whole time that I was awake and I was laying on the couch, all I saw were, you know, kind of black figures running kind of side to side through the hallway from one room to the other into my room out of my room you know what i mean i mean they were probably about i would probably say about four foot tall from my memory three and a half feet four feet tall just running back and forth and it wasn't like i had a lot of detail to tell what they looked like it was just very fast blurring motions and it was just straight through the door straight back out and it was just kind of constant until i ended up falling asleep and then as far as the hand or claw or whatever you want to call it coming up from the foot of my bed, it it looked almost burned, but it wasn't, it was like a, a brown and it was shiny. Like it had some sort of, I don't know, like liquid or gunk on it more or less. And it was just, the nails were also a, a tannish. They looked like dirty nails that were long, and came to a little bit of a point. Anyway, I have a lot of other stories as well you know I just figured I'd chime in with my thing I just started listening to podcasts and yours was actually the first one that I picked and I've been binging it for the past few days and I've been loving it man good job on all that
0: thank you Austin I have no clue what visited you that evening but I do not envy you for having seen it that sort of thing will certainly scar a child and I'm sure impact a handful of adults as well. So thank you for turning your childhood nightmares into our entertainment, Austin. We certainly appreciate the call. Now, before we take our next deep dive, a quick announcement. I just want to remind everyone that there's still a couple dozen seats available for the world premiere of our upcoming film Shadows in the Desert High Strangeness in the Borrego Triangle Now the event is to be held on August 17th at the Rustic Theater and Entertainment Center in Idlewild, California Now tickets to the event are free but you do need to reserve yours before the event and I'll be up front This event will sell out by the end of this week now full disclosure there are two screenings that evening a 5pm screening which is already sold out and an 8.30 screening that still has a few open seats available and listen if you can make it to this event do so I don't think you'll regret it David and I will be there introducing both showings the stars of the film will be there as well. well most of them anyway And Idlewild is a beautiful and eerie area. And practically the tip of the infamous Borrego Triangle itself. So hit up tonight's show notes. Follow the link and claim your tickets today. And folks that already have, keep your eyes out for emails from us over the next couple weeks for further information and updates. Oh, and of course, for those of you in other parts of the world. We're doing our best to get the film onto a screen somewhere near you as well. Now, more on that likely next week. But if you have connections to a movie theater, be sure to hit us up. And of course, if all else fails, it'll be streaming later this fall. Now, this next entry stems from the same general area that our film project does. Taking place not all that far from the triangle itself, down near San Diego. Nick from the Golden State. Go on ahead with your encounter.
4: Hey, Derek. My name is Nick. I live in San Diego, California. Actually, uh, Chula Vista is the exact area. Anyways, I live about not even an eighth of a mile from a road called proctor valley road not sure if you've heard of it but creepy pasta did a youtube video on it because supposedly it's one of the most haunted roads in california anyways the other day it was uh, september seventeenth, twenty 2022 i was driving to a casino called hamul casino that is literally 12 minutes from doorstep to doorstep from my house if you go on the back road, uh, Proctor Valley Road. Anyways, I was driving, and it was 7 o'clock in the afternoon, and as I'm driving on the dirt road, I'm uh, looking up, and normally I don't look up at the sky or anything, but just recently I've been listening to all of your podcasts, and I feel like it opens your eyes. I'm sure the other viewers can attest to that, It makes you more hyper aware of the things that are around you that you normally want to look for so i'm looking up in the sky i'm driving and sure as heck i see these three lights that the way that they were lined up i assumed it was like almost like a um, wind turbines or something like that or like really high sort of wind turbines because they were in like a line just directly Uh, one in back of the other. So I'm watching them, not thinking really anything of it, but then as I'm continuing to drive, I notice that they're just like hovering and they have a big bright light and they aren't an airplane because they would have been moving already from where they were. So that's what really kind of made me wonder. And then it wasn't a helicopter, but they were just kind of staying in the same exact spot. So I got out of my car and I took a video of it and I'll, I'll email that in, but it was a 50 second um, video. And uh, the weird thing was when I started videoing, the forward one that was closest to me started coming like kind of in my direction. And actually in the video, I can be heard saying like, holy crap, it started to get closer to me. And that one moved closer to me. And that's the only one that distance changed. The back two were still in the same exact spot. So I continued watching these lights. And then here's where the weird thing happens is When I got to Hamul Casino, I'm watching the second light, the one that was in the middle, and as I get to the casino, now that light, I never lost contact of it, I never lost sight of it, but that light now was directly over the casino, and it was the shape of a plane, but it was looked like it was going, like I I don't even know, like 40 miles an hour. It took like 10 seconds just to get over the casino, and... If that was a plane, that thing would have already landed in Lindbergh Field down in San Diego from the time I started videoing to there. So that was the weird thing, but it didn't have the typical lights of a plane, but it was just like the shape of a plane. But it was just weird how it could be going so slow. Uh, I even showed my wife the video who's like the biggest skeptic I've ever met. I'm a psychology major and everything has a reason and she couldn't understand really what it was. But anyways, I'll send in the video to you and you tell me what you think. It's just really strange because in the video you can see they're just hovering and they weren't drones. And once I got close to it, it was actually the shape of a plane. And it almost looked like it kind of changed. Like originally when I had seen it, it wasn't the shape of a plane. It was more circular. And then once I got to it and it was above the casino where like people could see it, then it changed to like the shape of a plane, if that makes any sense. Anyways, that's it. I've never had any other things happen, and, yeah, pretty interesting that it happened after I started listening to your stuff. Thanks.
0: Bye. Thank you, Nick, for the entry. Now, from time to time, I hear a story here that just clicks to me. Sort of makes sense. And as luck has it, Nick's entry is one of those calls. Now, given the description of the lights that Nick reported... ...and the behavior that he described. I think I might have an idea of what he saw. Now I know I've mentioned this before, but bear with me. Now I live just under the approach to the Ontario International Airport. Beginning at maybe 5am, commercial and UPS planes buzz our mountain community... ...coming close enough that I can clearly read the logos on each and every plane... Trust me when I say they're close. Well, since we're on the approach, that also means we are in line with the departing traffic. And since we're higher up, about 5,400 feet here at the cabin, these distant departing planes seem to just hover in the air. A bit of an optical illusion. Now my first few years up here, I'd get pretty excited watching a distant light hover in place for several minutes. Sometimes dimming, sometimes getting brighter, but a constant, whitish, yellowish light. Then the plane, and in turn the light, finally banks in the direction of its eventual destination. And it's then that you lose that solid light, and instead, the all-too-familiar blinking light sequence appears. And it's then I realize that I've been watching the same plane that had just landed there a few hours prior. Now I'm concerned that didn't make a ton of sense, so I'll put it in layman's terms. The planes are coming right at us for hundreds of miles as they approach the airport, making it look as if whatever is up there is hovering in place. Add to the fact that the plane has likely deployed its landing gear and lights it should make for an odd spectacle. But like I said, it's an optical illusion, and one that's tricked me many a times. And I have a sneaking suspicion that it fooled Nick as well. The behavior he described sounds exactly like what I've witnessed hundreds of times now, through my game room window. So I did a little digging. And it turns out that the flight path does go directly over the Proctor Valley area. And that's a fairly new thing. From what I could find, this new flight path was adopted in March of 2017. So maybe it's not something Nick is used to seeing. At least not yet. And my suspicions were pretty much confirmed when I saw the exact same theory posited for the exact same area. By a paranormal YouTube channel called Infographics. And here is their explanation. As we were trying to find a way to the water, we noticed a strange red light in the sky
1: which didn't seem to be moving.
2: That's either a plane or an alien. Yeah.
1: Could this be the famous Proctor Valley UFO
0: we were seeing for ourselves? Not really. Turns out it was just a plane. We only showed you about 30 seconds of footage there, but what was strange was that we saw the red light standing still in the
1: sky for about two minutes before it finally turned and we could see clearly the running lights of an airplane. I was really starting to put a theory together on what people were seeing when it came to UFOs out here.
0: See, Proctor Valley just happens to be situated right under a flight corridor for incoming flights to San Diego. As the planes descend and slow down, it can give the illusion of big lights in the sky just standing still and hovering which would perfectly explain many of the UFO sightings out here at night. But listen, that theory might explain away one of the legends that surround this infamous roadway. But it certainly doesn't account for the other details assigned to this haunted highway. In addition to the reports of mysterious lights floating above the area, reports of a ghostly woman flood the region... Phantom hitchhikers are seen. Strange sounds can be heard there late at night. And there once was a bakery on the stretch of road. That is until the owner killed his family. And then himself. Reports of their ghostly remains still come in from that stretch as well. But probably my favorite legend from this area is that of the Proctor Valley Monster. First covered back on episode 7 of season 14. A creature that was first reported back in the 1940s or 50s. A creature then claimed to be part cow, some reports say. Later morphing into a Bigfoot like creature. One that is still described today. A creature said to stand six, seven, maybe eight feet tall, weighing hundreds of pounds. Upright like a man but Harry, from head to toe. Now we traced the story back a bit, and I'd seen one person take ownership in particular, claiming that he and his friends made up the story in the 60s or 70s, where they would party in the remote stretch of road. The problem there, though, is that some say the legends are much older than that. Then Delaney sent me an article by Richard Pena, from the Star News out of Chula Vista, California, in which Peña seems to get to the actual bottom of this motorway's mystery monster. The following was pulled from that article. I had a letter from a retired Sweetwater Union high school district teacher and counselor, Marilyn Plus, that sheds a bit of light on the origin of this legend. Marilyn and husband Paul Longtime residents of the valley attest to the authenticity of this tale. Otto Roland and his friend John Eaton both grew up on dairy farms in Bonita and Sunnyside, she wrote. Otto's family owned Roland Dairy on Dairy Road across from San Miguel Road near Proctor Valley Road. John's family owned the Eaton Dairy on the corner of Bonita and Ote Lakes Road. The boys were the same age and very close friends. The year was 1947. One day, Otto and John were riding their horses on San Miguel Road, a seldom used dirt road, on the way to Ricky Lake to go fishing. Ricky Lake was located in what is now the East Lake area. While they were riding, they saw a cow in distress and went to help. The cow was giving birth, but the calf had died. Both boys had watched the veterinarian assist with difficult calf births, so they knew what to do. They operated and took the calf, freeing the cow. When they had the stillborn calf, they decided to play a prank. They created a story of a monster living on Proctor Valley Road. Their story was that the monster killed the newborn calf and chewed on it, then left it there. They used their knives to make a few cuts on the calf to make it look like something had chewed on it. They then hung it on a barbed wire fence. It had previously rained, so they stamped some tracks in the mud nearby. The only thing left, Plus said, was to spread the story. And according to the article, that's exactly what they did. And I suppose the rest is history. Now, regardless of the origin there seems to be some spooky stuff afoot in the Proctor Valley. I also hear that urban sprawl has a chokehold on that region. So if you're out to solve the mystery, I suggest that you get started before it's blanketed with cheap stucco housing. And while the PMV story might be fabricated, the other stories from that area detailing a similar creature that's said to lurk the sun-soaked hills, well, those may not be. For centuries now, reports of upright hairy creatures have permeated that area. The Sandman of Anza The Mountain Devils, just a bit west of there. And the Zubies, as they call them down in the Proctor Valley area. But more on those creatures on a future broadcast. Until then, thank you again, Nick, for sharing that entry. Now, folks, it's that time of year again. The days are long, the air is still, and it's hotter than a firecracker out there. Now, in most places, they call this the dog days of summer, and around here, we do it a little bit different. To us, it's the dogman days of summer. And to you, it means savings. Visit our shop now through the end of August and get an automatic 15% off your entire purchase, excluding those brand-new Color Blast T-shirts unfortunately. So go to our website, monstersamonguspodcast.com, smash that shop tab, grab all the goodies you can get, and take full advantage of the dogman savings. And that brings us to tonight's final entry. From the state of North Carolina, please join me in welcoming Gary to tonight's program. Hello there, this is Gary from North Carolina.
5: It's Regarding a mirrored men story, it's not actually my own story, but uh warning at the end of this, there is kind of a sad ending to this. My uh, oldest son had a couple of friends over the other night, and, you know, we had a campfire going, and, you know, I'm the cool dad, so, you know, let them have a beer or two, you know, they weren't going anywhere, they were sleeping in tents in the backyard, you know, just trying to be cool. And, and I had my Bluetooth speaker out there and, uh, I was, you know, this campfire and playing the mirrored men special. And one of my son's friends was, you know, I could t- like, when he started hearing the stories about it, like they were all like, yeah, you know, just kind of jeering about it. Like, oh, all this stuff isn't real. and they, But I noticed, uh, you know, I'm not going to name his name because of how this ends. And, uh, he, uh, you know, I kind of see it. Something was laying on him. You know, I was like, man, some of this stuff, like, you know, people tell this stuff, they call in because they believe this stuff. And, uh, you know, like, I guess I kind of like ease the tension of the disbelief. And he, he you know, he goes, I, you know, I've never heard about this, but I remember something like this happening. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, you know, because this young man had moved down from Virginia, like he's from Virginia, north of here, like near the Shenandoah Valley. And his parents and his relatives, I think it's his dad's brother, you know, his uncle and aunt lived on the same property. And he said when he was like around 12, his older brother and parents were gone out of town. Because his brother wrestled like a wrestling tournament or something. They were gone out of town. And so they went over to eat supper with his aunt and uncle. And in between their house, like kind of down in the little valley there, they had a uh, pond. I think I want to say he said it was December and it was unusually cold, like super, super cold snap. And their little pond that they had had frozen up. He said he was coming back down, you know, it was really windy, really cold, and he saw something moving across the pond, and he didn't think that it was cold enough for anything to actually be on the ice, like, because it wasn't that thick. Bear in mind, it was unusually cold. He thought it was trash blowing across or something, and he said he looked down there, and he noticed that it was actually, I think he said right around 50 yards, and he noticed it was three men like in black robes moving in unison across the pond. And he said he stood there like transfixed, like didn't know what was going on. And, and he watched them and watched them. And when they got to the little bank there where they fish down there, he said they stopped and all three of them raised their gaze towards him. And he said, they looked like kind of like Squidward from, SpongeBob, Squarepants. And I'm like, well, that's weird. He said their faces, long nose. And he said the next thing he knew, it was, I think he said this was right around dark, like would be probably between 5 and 5.30. And he said he woke up on the couch in his living room in his house, you know, after coming back from his aunts and uncles, he was baffled by it. He said he's never heard of anybody else having an experience like that till he heard me play this, your, your Mirrored Men special. And, uh, you know, and, and then come to find out, like one of the other guys there started talking about, uh like, his aunts or something up in, like, way back in Asheville. They had, like, believed had big, for you know, and it just, we got into UFOs and all this. It, you know, it ended up, you know, like, you know, just a good night and they slept in the tent and uh I got up the next morning. I had to go to work the next morning and uh, you know, I leave really early and I noticed the uh, the boy that had uh had told me the story about the mirrored man, uh he was asleep in his car in the driveway. And uh you know, I didn't think nothing of it, you know. You know, maybe he didn't want to sleep in the tent. And I get to work and uh Sorry, and uh, my son calls me uh, first break, and he said, "You know, the anonymous kid. I guess sometime after I had, it's it, it sometime around eight in the morning, like it's, you know, slept, and he, uh, you know, he had driven home and somewhere in route home." So, like, a truck blew out a tire and crossed the road and hit him, and uh, he passed away. Not that that's related to the mirrored men, but it's just it's a weird coincidence, synchronicity. Yeah, I, know, I know the kid's parents, and, they, you know, the state troopers said it was just one of those things that happened. Like I said, it's just weird that it occurred eight hours after he shared this story with us, you know, like that he had supposedly hadn't told anyone and I don't, I don't know, I don't know if the two were connected, but it's just it's, it's, it's odd, it's odd to me is all I'm saying well thanks Derek, I love your show love everything you do, listen to every one of us, alright, bye
0: thank you Gary and I'm just going to pretend like I didn't hear certain parts of that We here at Monsters Among Us do not condone any illegal behavior. Just in case anyone's on the phone with their lawyers. And now tragic. A sad end to an eerie evening, and to a young life. But as heartbreaking as that detail is, let's try to focus mainly on the story that the young man told. How many of the details given fall in line with other Men entries that we've collected over the years? Well, for starters, the encounter seems to take place at a rural pond area in Virginia. So that checks out. An unusual cold snap was referenced, which falls in line with other stories that describe odd or unusual weather. The description of the entities also match past accounts. And of course, that ever-present missing time. All Mirrored men encounters should have that missing time element included. But I will admit this might be the first story of this ilk to even explore the option that the Mirrored men may have physically harmed someone. Oh yeah, Gary did mention that the original encounter and the car accident are likely not related but the collision occurred immediately after he told his story. So I think at the very least, we need to mention that slight yet concerning connection. But as I got to thinking, I realized this is not the only time I'd heard of the mirrored man harming a witness or possibly threatening to. A few weeks back, I did a promo swap with a podcast called Unexplained Encounters. We play their promo or trailer, and in turn they play ours, in hopes of growing each other's listenerships. Well, after we ran the ad, I listened to the full episode of Unexplained Encounters that our ad played in, just to hear how it sits in the episode. We're always looking for ways to improve. And lo and behold, the story that played directly before our promo was what I determined to be a mirrored men story. Not only that, but a mirrored men's story in which there seemed to be some physical harm threatened upon the witness. Now Unexplained Encounters was nice enough to grant me permission to play the entire story, but in the interest of time, I'll only play the meat and potatoes of the tale. But to set you up, the story happened to an adult woman nicknamed M. M lived with her husband, an eight-year-old son. And one evening, Em awoke to find her son missing. After a brief search, he was located on the lawn, staring at a series of lights in the sky. When she recounted this tale to a friend, she broke down, recalling this following story that took place when she was a child. Again, courtesy of Unexplained Encounters.
6: Her father was a physicist who'd worked at a government lab in New Mexico. He was never able to tell her what exactly he did for reasons of national security, so to say. While working in the Southwest, he'd fallen in love with the region's harsh but beautiful mountains and desert landscapes. After divorcing M's mother and retiring early with a handsome government pension, he bought a small ranch in Arizona in the summertime, M. then a young girl, would stay with her father at his ranch. It was a very remote property, part of its allure for him. It was in the foothills of some mountains in the desert, but it had access to a water source, and there was a small pond back behind the ranch house, overgrown with tall cattails. Early in the afternoon one summer day, M's father left the ranch to run some errands in the nearest town. It was a brutally hot day, and M did not want to ride in the stifling hot truck, so she begged her father to let her stay so she could swim in the pond. Reluctantly, he agreed. Once her father had left, M put on her bathing suit and made her way down a small path of hot rocks and sand to the pond behind the house. The sky was almost impossibly blue in the clear, torturous Arizona summer heat. A slight breeze rustled the reeds and scrub brush, but it was otherwise silent, as if all the animal life had perished or gone underground to escape the relentless desert heat. As M. rounded the bank of cattails that obscured the pond from the house, she froze at an unexpected encounter. Three tall beings were standing on the opposite side of the pond. They were all identical and stood facing her as she came into view, as if as if they'd been waiting for her. M couldn't move. Whether that was from pure fear or something else, she couldn't tell. All she could do was stare in horror and disbelief at these things. They stood about seven feet tall, each one completely indistinguishable from the other, as if they were clones or triplets or mirrored images of each other. They were vaguely humanoid, two unusually long and skinny arms that ended in spindly hands with long fingers, two long and thin legs, slender, elongated torsos and skinnier necks. Their heads were long, but proportional to the height and build of these things, whatever they were. They had ruddy tan and completely hairless skin, and wore what seemed to be blue, skin-tight jumpsuits. But the strangest and most awful aspect of these things were their faces. They were completely featureless save for the eyes. No mouth, no ears, no nose. Just two somehow human-looking, but somehow not human-looking, eyes set into the blank, tanned plane of their faces, staring dispassionately and motionlessly at him. She blinked once and soon found herself lying on the floor of her father's living room, right on her back. She was wrapped in the towel she'd taken with her to the pond, as if she'd been swaddled in it. The sun had gotten significantly lower in the sky. She could tell by the way it slanted in through the yellow blinds of the windows at a long angle. She sat up, confused and beginning to panic. She heard the ticking of the old grandfather clock and looked over at it. The time read 5 p.m. She'd somehow lost nearly three hours of time. How? How's that possible? How had she even gotten back to the house? Just as strangely, she was completely dry. Not a bead of sweat had gathered on her, even though her father's house lacked air conditioning and was sickly hot. Her father arrived not long afterward, pulling his truck down the long driveway of the ranch. When he entered the house with his sack of groceries, he found him in a state of distress. She told him in a panicked frenzy what she'd seen, what had happened to her at the pond, how she'd somehow lost three hours of her life. The old physicist stared coldly into the distance, waiting for his daughter to finish the story, then told her, But they told me they'd leave you alone. M was shaking and began to cry again. Z held her and she buried her face in Z's arms. That's why I'm afraid, she said. I'm afraid that they came back for my son.
0: So essentially, M feared that these strange lights were also these three beings, returning, this time for her child. Now I cannot vouch for this story, although it is worth noting that this podcast, like ours, Claims the stories shared are true to the best of our knowledge. So, what's that worth to you? Another entry from the Mirrored Men casebook. And thanks again, Gary, for calling your story in. I have no idea what these things are, but they sure are intriguing. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Copyright, Red Crow Media. Additional support was provided by Sarah Carter-Hayes and Delaney Bowers. All media used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And if you enjoy the show, please consider giving us a rate and review, wherever that sort of thing is possible. Please take the time to support us on social media and YouTube. And don't forget, you can catch us Tuesdays and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Eastern on Sundown 96.6 or Saturdays at 11 p.m. Eastern on the Onyx Network. And finally, tonight's score was provided by Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse, co.he music, and Carl Casey at White WhiteBat Audio. Thank you so much for tuning in. Keep cool out there. And above all else, keep it spooky. But tonight's secret entry is unique for a unique reason. You'll see what I mean. Drew from Missouri, welcome to the program.
7: Hey, Derek, this is Drew from Kansas City. Long-time listener, first-time caller. No, everybody says that, but you know, thought I'd say that. I just had maybe 45 minutes to an hour ago. It is 3:37 a.m. now. I'm currently at work. On my break, I just had two experiences in one night, back to back, very strange, never happened before. I've seen many paranormal things, been through many paranormal things, grew up with it. It seems like I've always had an affinity towards it or they had one for me, whichever way you want to look at it, UFOs, everything. So um, I work at a grocery store in a suburb of Kansas City, about 20 minutes to the south. And I was in the aisle, one of the aisles stocking And all of a sudden the alarm for the front sliding doors went off. And they only go off at night if someone is forcibly opening them from the outside without a key. So I automatically freak out. I'm here all by myself tonight. So it's just me in this big old store. So I automatically start freaking out thinking, you know, someone has gone in or is trying to get in and it's picked it up. So I run to the doors and check them all and there's, there's nothing. And as I'm checking them, I hear all these things start to fall off one of the aisles. So I go look where we, where it is, and I go down one of the aisles, and one whole section of the shelves is on the ground. So I manage to put it in the basket and take it in the back so we can resort it later. And as I'm doing that, I hear it sounds like someone's running in the aisle next to me. And I'm towards the end of the aisle that I'm in, and I hear them coming my direction as if they're running toward the end of the aisle on their aisle coming towards me. So I decided, you know, if this is somebody who's broken in here, if this is someone, you know, whatever the case might be, I'm going to go right up to the edge of the end of my aisle so that when they get around this corner, I can catch them. And as they got to the end of their aisle, I stepped out thinking I was going to meet them face to face and there was no one there. And I was just like, oh, okay, that, that, that's strange. Now the second part is a doppelganger. This happened right after. I went to one of the doors because I have a co-worker that comes in on Monday, through Friday, he comes in at about 3.15. And I went to the door to go unlock it for her because she doesn't have a key. And as I'm walking to the door, I see her. I see her clocking in. And I think to myself, wait a minute, she doesn't have a key, but maybe they gave her one. So I wave at her, she waves back. And so I walk away, you know, because I don't need to unlock the door. And I am go back to the aisle I was in and then all of a sudden I get a phone call, you know, five or six minutes later. And it's her. And she says, Hey, I'm outside. you didn't unlock the door like you usually do. And I went silent for like twenty seconds and she to the point where she thought I hung up, she's like hello and I was like, Yeah, weren't you just in here clocking in? And she was like, No, I'm outside. So I went and let her in and I'm still kind of shaking from it. It was insane. And um, I listen to your show every night. When I work, I've listened to it for years. And I knew I had to call this in once it happened. Um, I love the podcast. It's amazing. It's my favorite. Better than any podcast I've ever heard,
0: period, regardless of topic or genre. Thank you. Talk to you later. Oh, shocks, mister. That's a mighty nice thing to say. And we do appreciate it. And of course, we're all thankful for the entry as well. So maybe you're asking, why is this one so unique? Well, a ghostly occurrence in a doppelganger encounter within hours of one another. I'm not sure how much more unique that can get. In fact, I believe Drew should probably play the lottery with those odds. So, thanks again, Drew and you'll thank me once you see what's waiting for you in tonight's Beyond, our Patreon-exclusive content. Now, if you'd like to join us, simply visit patreon.com and search for Monsters Among Us Podcast or click the Patreon tab over on our website. Either way, a few bucks a month gives you access to a plethora of exclusive content. And now you can sample the waters, absolutely free for seven days, with Patreon's new trial period. So what are you waiting for? Go get your bonus content today. And speaking of content, I have a slew of it for this after show. But with all the film premiere planning, I found myself eager to share stories but short on time to do so. So tonight we're diving back into the grab bag. The stories I'm about to play are as new to me as they are to you. And per usual, Delaney proof-listened to these bad boys and even sent over some background information. So what do you say we dive into the grab bag, shall we? Beginning with Amber, from Parts Unknown.
4: Hi, my name is Amber. I've called in a couple of times before because I've had a lot of different stories that have happened. This one kind of has stayed with me for the entirety of my life since it's happened. I grew up in a really old house. It was like the first house built on that block in the town that I live in.